0: Is the US government just gonna randomly ban TikTok? You see every other platform currently trying to copy TikTok as much as possible. So I think whatever is going on with TikTok is something that is very closely watched by everybody else.
1: friends, welcome to the Metacast Roundtable by Navic. Today, I'm joined by Aaron Bush, co-founder of Navic, Anil Das Gupta, co-founder and CPO of First Light Games, and Lars Desai, co-founder of Level Up Labs. Hi everyone.
0: Hey, hey. Howdy. Howdy.
1: Everyone doing okay during the summer?
2: Doing all right. Only oh got sick twice. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little under the weather today, but how was, uh, how was your Norway trip, Lars?
0: That's pretty good. I mean, I mostly stay with my family in rural areas, so I didn't really get out to see the big cities. But um, strawberries are in season, which is amazing. So it was good.
1: Nice. Do you eat your strawberries with something?
0: Yeah. Sugar and cream. Just oh. Norwegians are pretty insane about 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 their strawberries. Uh, <laughs> it's a pretty intense experience. It's like if you're not eating <laughs> first- strawberries, then you will be eating them shortly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've heard strawberries with sugar and then strawberries with cream but sugar and cream that, <laughs> that sounds great yeah Anil the blast real is out how's that going
3: it's going great as a games developer when people actually get to play your game that you spent sort of months years working on that's always the greatest feeling it's really good to see people giving us like live feedback and something that I really like about kind of doing games this way is that rather than taking sort of two or three years to develop your game in silence and then releasing it and hoping people will like it, is that this time around, we've released our game quite early and we have like a community that's already actively engaged in it and they're telling us what they like and what they don't like and then we can make a quick change and then we can improve it. And I'm finding it as like a games developer, like a very rewarding experience. It's actually like the most excited I've been to work on the game in quite a long time. And I think it's as much the process as much as the game. So hopefully we are able to keep that momentum, but it's going great just because of that. It's like, you know, Im- imagine that there was a game that you were really excited about and you actually got to have like direct input into the development team and helped shape it into a better product that's what we're trying to do with our title and um yeah it's great i mean sometimes they let you know like things that, that they think suck about the game but then you've just got to take those l's right and you've got to turn yeah. them into w's and i like it both ways and we actually just did the stream earlier today we do it once a week where we play people in the community and we have like a tournament and they often get prizes like for killing me which means that as soon as the match starts there's like <laughs> 20 people like right, right on my ass which just kind of hilarious but yeah i'm really enjoying it and I, I the one thing like i say is i really hope that might come from this is that i guess it's a bit like a kind of like a matrix moment of like what if everything we knew was wrong and the correct way to make games is actually to be more inclusive with your audience instead of like second guessing them and it would be nice if there's like a room for that to kind of grow but hey that could maybe be another topic for another day
1: cool i'm really glad it's going well and you're seeing benefits from the process we'll just be waiting for the when game launch answer (laughs) we'll pressure you to, to answer now Oh, I'm not um, gonna give
3: it away, unfortunately. You'll you have yes. to subscribe to Nabic Premium if you want to get that information.
1: All right, so for today's topics, we're going to do a quick hitting earnings update, Google's new interstitial, interstitial ads rules. Um, we're going to be looking at TikTok's games and also Google Stadia maybe shutting down, who knows? So we're gonna dive into that. All right, Erin, we've been having some little recording issues. Um, but Aaron, I hope you can get through your topic with success.
2: All right. Well, wish me luck. So today I want to recap some recent earnings news. Um, we'll talk about Activision, Blizzard, Ubisoft, and how Xbox and Sony are doing. Maybe another time we can do a part two with other companies because, you know, even just yesterday, EA and um, Nintendo reported, but since there's quite a bit here, I will have to move pretty quickly through each of these, but let's go ahead and start with Activision, which is Probably the least interesting from the standpoint that not a whole lot has changed. As everyone knows, the company um, has faced pretty troubling cultural issues, which not only led to some lack of productivity in certain parts of the org, but it caused um, employee turnover, including leadership. And these factors have led to delays of games like Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4, among other things. It's also been tough because the latest Call of Duty missed the mark and has been seriously underperforming. And the company had to recently buy proletariat to get more developers for World of Warcraft because that team couldn't keep up with the needed uh, content treadmill and lost market share. So even though mobile results were actually quite okay, both King did relatively well, and obviously Diablo Immortal had a a pretty good launch, even if you had some questions about um, its long-term scale, Uh, it wasn't enough to really make up for slowdowns and a loss of players elsewhere. Um, The company will be fine. They'll rebound from this. The so-called Call of Duty strategy of taking a killer IP and building a larger ecosystem around it. Um, that'll continue to play out. Um, even though I saw today actually that their uh, World of Warcraft mobile game, or at least one of them, that they're partnered with NetEase for, that's been developed for the past couple of years, that one got canceled. So, so that's not awesome. But, wow. but anyways, all of that is kind of secondary to the the larger part of the story, which is um, that they're still waiting for the acquisition from Microsoft. To get approved, and really based on logic, <laughs> there's no real reason regulators should say no, um, and it really makes more sense for the rules, um, if there needs to be need to be made around how exclusives work, rather than blocking a deal altogether. But um, even though, um, yeah, which I we'll see how it goes because you know we saw recently also with Meta, which tried to buy a VR fitness company. Um, you know, even though the FTC staff in the U.S. recommended that the deal should be allowed because it's all super nascent, um, the FTC commissioner, Lena Khan said no, because she doesn't want Meta to own the Metaverse, which anyone paying attention knows that isn't happening. Um, and often Europe makes even less sense in its, in its decision making with, with regulation. So who knows exactly how this will really shake out? But that's that's what we're waiting for. Um so yeah, I just I guess I'll pause for a moment and and ask, does anyone have thoughts on, you know, whether the deal will get approved or not, or am I being overly cynical in my take about the incompetence and bias of of regulators?
0: Well, I think there's kind of an appetite in the current regulatory environment that has kind of taken a historical change from previous ones that have been pretty kind of rubber stampy when it comes to mergers to take kind of a much more aggressive, uh, anti-consolidation stance. You know, so it seems you're you're very much in the you know what's what's the big deal with with that that kind of camp, um, which would be kind of interesting to hear your reasoning behind it. But I mean, I think Lena Khan has shown every indication that she's kind of against um, these kind of big mergers. What's interesting, but just in terms of like what's going to happen, I actually have a manifold market that's a prediction market on whether Lena Khan will allow the Activision um, thing to go forward. So let's see what the, what, what the fake money, um, markets are. So there's currently a 46% chance that Activision Blizzard will solve its reputational problems at the end of 22. And betters are saying 58% chance that Lena Khan will block Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Uh, so whether you think it's good or not, currently people on this random website who are huge nerds, uh, about 60% of them think that she'll make a move, but I don't think she has made any public statement on Activision Blizzard yet. Has she? No. No. Okay. Are there any other um, indicators? I mean, there there was the recent meta um, block, but has there been any other um, FTC moves in the gaming space this year? Not that I really know of. I mean, all the
2: other acquisitions like Sony buying Bungie and and stuff like that has, or take to acquiring Zynga. Like everything else has been let through. And yeah, it doesn't really make sense to block this because, you know, it just based on the console market, Xbox is, you know, still a lot smaller than Sony. Um, you know, it doesn't really have much to do with their core business. It's not like this deal will really give them like super outsized market share. It's just kind of the risk around like, something like Call of Duty, if it is only allowed on Xbox and not PlayStation, is that good for consumers? But I don't think you have to block a full deal to make that happen. But it seems like to me, like, and I don't personally really like this trend, although I understand where it's coming from. It seems like regulators are more trying to stop um, deals from happening that might harm consumers in the future, such as like looking back and like not having allowed Instagram to be acquired by... Facebook back in the day, instead of maybe, you know, trying to force something 10 years into the future. And that's kind of the vibe I get from, you know, why they said Meta can't acquire this, you know, VR fitness company, even though it's all like a tiny market. And, uh, you know, like, it it, it just doesn't fully make sense to me. Like I get where they're coming from, but I feel like it makes more sense to let it happen. And then if um, it just happens to um, create, antitrust issues in the future then you can take action instead of probably being wrong and taking premature action um at least in gaming that seems to make sense but anyways i've i've no idea (laughs) what what lena khan will do especially since she went against her own staff for the for that meta deal but that's the big question it's the the 95 dollar per share question um that um you know, this is a big deal. Activision will be fine if the deal doesn't go through, but... Um.
1: I have nothing to add really to your stance about this. On the nascent technologies being acquired, for example, by Meta, it it does feel like it needs some kind of regulation because if as soon as something's being born in, in in the innovation of the market, if a big company can just buy up all of these small competitors, well, companies that could become competitors or building innovations that they can use, doesn't that lead to even more consolidation and stifling competition from growing? I guess. So I know we're going a bit off topic. I mean, like,
2: it could. um, But I guess, like, saying, like, stopping a deal because they don't want Meta to own the metaverse, (laughs) like, that's just so misleading. Um, Yeah, yeah. And so you could say you don't want them owning VR um, and dominating everything on VR. Maybe that's a bit more plausible um, and, you know, a better, better line of reasoning. But even that is still all super nascent. They're not the only, only players there. Um, And yeah, it's just hard to like really make a firm stance on how you think the market will play out to really start impeding Mm -hmm. companies that are trying to innovate and are trying to turn a market that is small into something bigger. Um, but anyways, yeah, it is a little, <laughs> a little off topic, uh, so we'll see how that goes. and I'll, I'll go ahead and shift gears to um, Ubisoft quickly. I'm curious what you, you all will think about this, too. So those paying pretty close attention um, know that Ubisoft has had a relatively hard time in the past couple of years. Obviously, they have awesome franchises like Far Cry, Assassin's Creed, Tom Clancy, but they've had difficulty in execution, and being able to not just outperform expectations, but really just meet them in the first place. And if you look at the company's stock, it's, you know, at the same price it was five and a half years ago. Um, And so, um, you know, the value creation and building like a growing sustainable business has been a bit of a challenge. Um, The first major yellow flag that I noticed when I started paying attention was actually when, Ghost Recon Breakpoint came out in 2019 and the, the company really whiffed on live ops of that game and it snowballed into into restructurings that also were plagued by harassment issues which um, some people still claim aren't fully fixed and they might not be, I don't really know as an, as an outsider. Um, but around that, that time too, they started pushing um, more into mobile and that wasn't really working either and there wasn't a clear strategy um, then and since then, investors really have been skeptical and, and waiting for the pieces to click together, waiting to be shown that live ops can be consistently performed well across games, that mobile has a clear strategy with actual positive results to point to, and that you know even though delays are natural, that they still can be contained to a large degree. And to the team's credit, they're trying live ops for games like Assassin's Creed. Did improve, and I'm I'm genuinely excited to see how they're going to to reorient this franchise for the future, um, which will be unveiled next month. And they also have three or four Tom Clancy mobile games in the pipeline, and I guess we'll see how those do. Although I'm I think I'm skeptical on most of those, but you know even this latest quarter we saw more delays, like the Avatar game that. Um, is now going to miss the movie launch timeframe, which is not great, and some cancellations of other projects. And we all know that even something like their first foray into NFTs enormously flopped. And as a result of all of this, we have to lower our expectations for the year again. And that isn't to say everything is bad. It's not, I genuinely like Ubisoft, but uh, nothing here and these results really helps reduce any ongoing skepticism about the companies quality of execution. Um, So I'm curious what what you all think. Am I being too harsh in my assessment? And if you have any thoughts on what they should do to kind of break this underperforming cycle, I'm curious um, what ideas you have. And I know there's um, always rumors around M&A and private equity, which at a $5 billion market cap or so isn't crazy. But um, where do you think they should
3: look to next? Um, I'll chime in here if it's okay a very interesting company. I feel that Ubisoft, maybe they try too many things without really having like a a focus strategy on maybe fundamentals. For me personally, I feel that they've been in kind of, I wouldn't say, well, yeah, maybe I would say it's decline since uh, the release of Watch Dogs. I feel like with Assassin's Creed, that was really like a masterstroke where they got in early on the new console generation. The first game was kind of just really an engine, not really a good game, but they turned it into this incredible, multi-year multi-game franchise that was huge really expanded the value of the company and they tried to repeat exactly the same trick again with Watch Dogs when that title came out getting in early i think it was on ps4 but the game wasn't really a hit and therefore they couldn't really turn it into sort of like you know a really big colossal game that could be proven for sort of returning revenue and so assassin's creed still kind of remains the cash cow so i feel they're kind of like still rely upon reliance upon yesteryear's um positive games and, and titles that they have, and they haven't really got anything since then to, to really sort of push the boat out. And so, you know, you asked the question what they should do. I, I think they should go back to sort of try and make something great again, I guess, rather than sort of, I feel they've got too many fires in, you know, too many places. But maybe that's a bit of a, a generalist statement. That's sort of my stance and where I feel they've, they've maybe, I wouldn't say they've missed the mark, but they're just not executing as well as they were previously.
2: Any other thoughts?
1: I've never worked I've never worked in such a huge company so my my thoughts are limited um, the only thing I can you know fathom is that that's why you have weights how much weight you can put on a car because you get so much weight you try to turn and it's very hard to turn so I can only imagine if you're trying to turn the ship around on Ubisoft you're trying to turn a, a behemoth in its direction and that's end times more difficult than trying to do that in a smaller company. I don't know if a way to to go around it is doing something like Square Enix, where you sell parts of your business to become leaner, um, and you can then focus on improving them. There's still some rumors that, you know, maybe Square Enix did that to make, to become more appealing for a potential acquisition. Uh, It could be something that we see from Ubisoft instead of uh, a, a buyout, for example.
2: Yeah, maybe. Maybe
1: they need. I don't know how they operate internally. If the teams have the freedom to explore, for example, live ops techniques that are u- utilized on mobile. If they have experts from running live games on on mobile or other console live games, bringing that in house.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think they're trying. You know, I mentioned the Call of Duty strategy, where you take a killer IP and then build an ecosystem around it. They're definitely trying this um, with the. You know, the Tom Clancy IP first and foremost. Um, And, yeah, I'm curious to see how that goes. But, yeah, Ubisoft has the problem of just being much more inefficiently run compared to, like, the other big publishers like Activision and EA. And maybe some of that has to do with, um, I don't know, being in France and (laughs) not being able to... um, just having like stricter rules around like how you can lay people off and things like that when you need to. Um, not saying they they should, although if private equity or someone were to come in to to make Ubisoft a better business, that probably is one of the one of the first things they would look at. And I just don't know how feasible that is um, in France. But um, yeah, I don't know if they would sell off part of their business, maybe. But yeah, I think Anil, you're probably right that they just kind of need to focus more on maybe a bit less experimentation on a bunch of different games and especially being like last movers <laughs> to to certain trends like battle royale with their, their like hyperscape game like a year ago or so which um which completely bombed and some other things but um
3: i, I was gonna say i think oh go ahead Oh, sorry. I was going to say they, they remind me a bit actually of EA, where EA were doing great with FIFA. Then they got to a point where FIFA was actually not doing very well, and Pro Evo kind of overtook it. And then Peter Moore came in and he took over like the sports teams. And it took them a few years, but he really like rebooted the sports division massively. And then FIFA completely overtook and then eventually buried Pro Evo. And they had like a real kind of going back to basics, they focused on like real game quality. They did everything to a much higher standard, almost like a cultural reboot. And that included even moving where the development studio of that game was done. It previously was done in Canada, believe it or not, <laughs> and was moved to the UK and, and they kind of rebooted it that way. And I feel like, yeah, uh, you've mentioned some of the franchises that Ubisoft have been working on. Those franchises have been going on for a very long time. It's very hard to sustain success in one franchise for a long time. It's natural that it starts to client. They haven't replaced it. And maybe going back and trying to remember what was special about those franchises in the first place and getting back to that could be the way. But it's very easy to criticize from an external standpoint on things like this. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, let me let me wrap up my my earnings section just by talking um, super quickly about the console market.
1: I have to be very quick, Aaron.
2: Yeah, I know. I will. <laughs> Um, so I wrote about this for Novik Digest last week. You can take a look there to get more detail. Um, but in short, Newzu predicted the console market for games would be down this year. And based on um, recent negative year-over-year performance, from, uh, performance data from Xbox and Sony and even um, Nintendo, which reported yesterday, um, it makes sense. I think that's right. And so for starters, lots of companies are still seeing uh, post-COVID normalization. And we're probably at or near the end of those difficult comps at this point. But... More importantly, there's been a relative lack of AAA games recently, and there's still been supply chain shortages for next-gen consoles, primarily driven by um, semiconductor shortages. And so a slowdown right now makes sense, but I end my piece basically by saying that it's not all bad because the slowdown is supply-driven. It's not demand-driven, and so there's still a huge appetite for these new consoles Um, new releases. And as we've seen in previous recessions, demand for these new consoles and games um, can still be high, even in harder times. So um, I expect the market will come uh, roaring back over the next uh, year or so, despite a lot of the the negative numbers that we see right now. So um, yeah, just wanted to get that in, but we can end my, my section there and move on unless someone has anything else to say about that.
1: All right. We'll dive into Google's new interstitial ads rules. This is to get me to say interstitial a lot of times and then just messing it up. All right. So just a quick definition. Um, Interstitial ads are the ones that are full screen and they cover the interface of the app. So the user must watch them or wait until they can skip to go back to interacting with the app. The new ads guidelines are going to come into effect on September 30th. Um, With the aim, I quote, ensure high quality experiences for users when they try using Google Play apps. The guidelines are inspired by the better ads standards, mobile apps experience guidelines, whose goal is to, I quote again, identify the ad experiences that fall beneath a threshold of consumer acceptability and are most likely to drive consumers to install ad blockers. So this gives us some initial insights as to why Google is aiming for this. So, what they're regulating is that full-screen interstitial ads of any kind of format that shows up unexpectedly. For example, if the user is trying to do something and then it unexpectedly pops up, and you are you are, you are unable to continue your action until it goes away, um, they are not allowed. So, for example, ads that appear during gameplay of a level or at the beginning of a level after you've pressed to try to play it, you can still have full screen interstitial ads um, that are not unexpected, but you can still have them if they are closable after 15 seconds. So you cannot have a full screen ad, for example, for 30 seconds, that will be unallowed. And the policy does not apply to rewarded ads, which are explicitly opted in by users. So things like banner ads, rewarded ads, because the banner ads don't um, cover the full screen, those are all okay. Um, My first thought is, sounds like Google is trying to protect their long-term ad revenue by creating good experiences so that users don't install ad blockers. Um, So having everyone in the industry using ads in a healthy user experience way is also good for them longer term. Keen to hear your thoughts on that. And then the second point is that Eric Sufert, I'm very sorry if I pronounced your name incorrectly, claimed that the new rules will kill the hyper-casual genre. You hear that Android accounts for around 75% of hyper-casual insta- installs. So this created a bit of buzz in the industry. Um, there have been a lot of um, write-ups opposing this because currently hyper-casual uses already a mix of banner, interstitial, and rewarded ads. And if you move fast enough, you can change your monetization. I'm um, yeah, keen to hear your thoughts on this.
2: Uh, I mean, I can I can start. I'm probably not the best qualified to have a strong opinion, but I'm pretty sure that's exaggeration. Um, I mean, there will be near term consequences, um, lower revenues and a reset for certain games and studios. And there might be, um, you know, just the nature of these platforms. There still might be some arbitrary approvals, denials at the end, like uh, of games uh, that the industry needs to work through to better understand the nuance of what Google is really trying to put forward. But hyper casual isn't purely defined by interstitial ads and hypercasual as a genre has already proven its ability to dramatically evolve many times over. And so this will just be one of those times. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think we'll see these teams lean into other types of ads or, you know, <laughs> you know, now that they have new rules to go by, they'll game the system uh, another way. Um, and, you know, even if we look at how hypercasual is evolving, which, you know, more recently with, The rise of a game like stumble guys it seems like more like multiplayer hyper casual games are gaining popularity and that in and of itself opens up other avenues for for monetization um and we might you know we'll just continue to see the industry or the genre excuse me um evolve but yeah i have a feeling it's a it's a bit of exaggeration although we'll still see some pretty real effects for a lot of games in the the near term
0: yeah, I mostly agree with Aaron. Um, <clears throat> I have less experience in mobile than my business partner, Anthony, who appears here sometimes. Um, so he could probably give you a more specific answer than I could. But one thing we definitely see with any rules like this is that the, the, the games and the business models immediately are, are always co-evolving with, with the outlines of the platforms. And Google is an advertisement company at heart. So a move like this from Google. You need to interpret differently than a move like this from apple which isn't fundamentally an advertisement company so like when apple changes the advertisement rules on the itunes store that's coming from a different motivational place than google i I feel like because advertisement is google's own bread and butter um and so i mean cynically you can be like, okay, they're they're trying to protect their own their own business in some sort of way. You know, you would like to think that you know this is being done in a pro social way because they understand that it's better for long term value of not driving everyone towards ad blockers, which are easier to install on the less closed Android system than on other platforms. I think that's a thesis that makes sense, but I think also, um, <clears throat> you know, just it's also a possibility. That um, they're they're trying to you know just exert a little more control you know um, because any advertisement is this kind of wild spigot that kind of um, bids up the price of uh, user acquisition and it's a channel of user acquisition that if Google doesn't own it then that user acquisition is happening on the terms of whoever controls the ad ecosystem rather than the Play Store itself but. Um, You know, I I think that generally speaking, I mean, I'm not inclined to not take them at face value here, you know, where they're saying where these interstitial ads seem particularly obtrusive compared to other things. And I'm pretty sure they've done the calculus of we don't think this is going to completely wreck the industry. I mean, things will evolve. But, you know, that's kind of my general take on it. I think it's very different than when iTunes changed like your ability, your ability, um, not iTunes, but. Apple changed the ability to like track that unique device thing. It was pretty clear what they were Mm -hmm. doing there, you know, where they were like, suck it, Facebook, you know, and um, among other things.
1: Yeah, I think maybe it was part of a knee-jerk reaction of some analysis thinking it's going to be the next ATT disaster. I
0: think if you're dialed Um, into exactly the current market conditions, it probably is a disaster for you if you're completely dependent on the current configuration of things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there there's some little species of hyper casual game that is perfectly evolved for today's ecosystem that, you know, but there's there's other subspecies that'll do just fine and adapt.
1: Yeah, hearing from game devs working in the hyper casual space, it seems that they already have diversification and the, there might be a, a, a small bump in the revenue, but they will find other ways to to monetize um, and just last note, there was a, a roundtable in the Toronto Pocket Gamer Connect. There was a panel of Zynga, Gameloft, AppLovin, and, and more, where they were discussing about seamless ads being essential to user attention for the future. So all in all, I believe that these new rules might actually lead to some positive changes in the future. So on that note, Anil, TikTok games.
3: Yeah, so this one I find quite interesting, mainly because... It shows a continued sort of rise of of TikTok and how it's destroying the world. That's a personal opinion. So (laughs) TikTok and ByteDance, you know, absolute juggernaut come not really from nowhere, but in the last couple of years, you know, the most popular app and social media app on the planet, and they've moved into games. And... Okay, that's kind of not that unheard of, but they kind of put it in, you know, while no one is looking and already testing it. But I think some of the things that they're doing with this is very interesting. And I think the wider ramifications it has is maybe more interesting too. So first and foremost, like these games appear seamlessly in the app it's not like you click on somewhere and you're taken elsewhere, although they do obviously advertise, including to their own games doing that. These are like almost like Snapchat-style games built in TikTok. That is something we have seen before in other platforms, e.g. You know, Facebook Messenger and Snapchat. But I think what's particularly interesting is that the way that these games appear to be designed is that they're almost content creation tools themselves. So in playing the game, it gives you the option to record the gameplay of something cool you did and put it into TikTok straight away to create almost sort of infinite content, maybe kind of I'm not really kind of sure. So, I'm intrigued because, well, I'd like to get other people's stances on this. But firstly, like having such a big player going into it is is you know quite um, impactful for the industry in terms of where we will go. I think sometimes um, on podcasts like this, we tend to have people from the older crowd, and we're maybe not that in touch with like not even you know Generation Z, but the generation below them and how they kind of interact with games and. Is this sort of like the new horrific future of gaming that we all need to be part of that's going to take over? What ramifications does have in the future? Uh, I have a m- more thoughts myself, but I
0: would like to open it up to the, the panel here. I have a couple of thoughts, if no one minds. Um, one thing is that it kind of reminds me, it rhymes a little bit with a wave of what we called streamer bait games um, many years ago now. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. it was like people yeah, yeah, would yeah. make yeah. games specifically for the idea of kind of aligning, you know, attacking that one platform for, you know, getting attention from it. And the fundamentals of it is whenever you make a game like this, you're really marrying your fate to the whims of that platform, which can do very well if it works out for you, right? Um, But it's a very all your eggs in one basket kind of thing. That means that your more conservative game developers are gonna not, are are gonna be late movers into it. And you're gonna have these kind of wild eyed, people just jumping straight in with both feet to see what happens. Um, and I think one of the things is overshadowing TikTok specifically is always the specter of, you know, you know, with Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan recently and everything like that is, Is the U.S. government just going to randomly ban TikTok? You see every other platform currently trying to copy TikTok as much as possible. So I think whatever is going on with TikTok is something that is very closely watched by everybody else. You know, YouTube is quickly turning into TikTok. Instagram is turning into TikTok, you know. So um, that possibility might create like if this becomes a genre of game, you might see something like a developer is always going to be more interested in shipping their game on multiple platforms and can being completely devoted to one. This has some foreshadowing of what I'm about to say in my Google Stadia section. And so um, (laughs) unless TikTok is just throwing money at developers to get this content there long term, you know, what you might see with everyone copying TikTok is kind of the rise of, I mean, this is a little speculative, like cross-platform, like whatever, this kind of like little sort of game where it's all about the shareability and being integrated with things like kind of APIs that are different but kind of the same And then people finding ways to like ship their game on multiple versions of these things, I think is something we might see emerge in the future. That's kind of speculative, but it's kind of what the past. No, that's,
3: that's, that's really good. Especially that those Twitch games, I remember them well, that was kind of the thing I was thinking a similar thing that how, yeah, TikTok, the way that just everyone copies it makes me laugh. And as you say, it's like, yeah, Instagram is just, it's just TikTok. I've heard rumors they're going to make even the Facebook feed just TikTok. YouTube Reels is just TikTok. Everything is TikTok. And the thing I will say about them, you know, like it or hate it, is that they are extremely good with that algorithm. Um, like the way they've managed to make that thing sticky is, is almost terrifying. And <laughs> if they're testing this stuff already, whilst they're keeping it quiet, they're probably doing the tuning. But if they get it right, you know it will really work. And therefore the ramifications of it could be huge. And I am as I say, I think the thing that I find interesting is they have already added like a few things that maybe weren't expected to it already. And I wonder if they're going to be the things like they they seem pretty brave and pretty clever at, at what they pull off. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I guess I don't want to live in a world where these games are the future, but I, I might be contemplating the fact that we're about to enter that world if we're not there already. You know,
1: well, I mean, they're not
3: the future.
2: They're they're not the future. Um, are, uh, they, they could be
1: Why Why not? Well, they
2: could have a part of the future, but I don't think they necessarily are the future. I think. Um,
1: oh, yes, I okay, can. No. Yeah.
2: Um, so, yeah, I mean, and on, on one hand, like none of this is new, right? Like Facebook was one of the earliest social platforms to embrace games in some way on its platform. Snapchat's been experimenting with instant games for a while, and obviously even Tencent's prior work with games on um, QQ and WeChat in China is part of what led to their their gaming dominance. And so, um, in some ways, like a template has already been laid out by by other companies on how to to kind of think about this. But um, and and it makes sense. Like you you sort of have to look at it from more like a TikTok first perspective, not a games first perspective. Because the point of these games is not to like make a lot of money. Um, off of like any individual game, like you're not looking at the same kinds of metrics that you do for like a like an app-based mobile game. They exist j- to keep people on TikTok longer, to keep engagement with the TikTok app higher, and um, and that's what you know. All of these other companies have sort of you know been thinking about it similarly with Facebook and Snapchat, et etc. What makes um, TikTok interesting, as Anil said, um, is is the algorithm. And so I could see it actually in some ways working better on TikTok, partially just because of the the scrolling nature where like each video or interaction is is full screen. Um, But also, like if TikTok knows you like basketball, you consume basketball content, they could probably throw you a basketball game if they know that you like. Squid Games, you know, content, maybe they could send you like a Squid Games type of game or something like that. Um, and obviously they'd work with more like instant game studios to get more exclusives, which again, aren't like monetized the same as traditional mobile games. It's just kind of a new breed of something. But I, the, the other thing that I think is like interesting here just to acknowledge is that social media is just part, is of part of the story, it's just one angle. Um, but ByteDance, the parent company has been um, testing this already in the Chinese version of the app for a couple of years. I don't know too much about that, but beyond that, ByteDance has a billion-dollar revenue games business, um, mainly because they acquired Moonton um, and C4 and yeah,
3: I was gonna yeah, say yeah. and
2: Mobile yeah. Legends Bang Bang, the you know, the really popular MOBA yeah. in the East, is like a third of that revenue. So it's pretty clear from my lens that they're trying to learn from and take on companies like. Tencent and NetEase um, through their own like social channels, which like it provides, as we saw with Tencent from the past, like it provides pretty incredible um, user acquisition advantages um, if you can, you know, be smart about how you showcase your own games and your platforms and such. Um, so, so yeah, I'm I, I'm really curious to see how like the entire game story of ByteDance evolves. Putting games on TikTok is a part of it, but I think. Their their strategy is a but a lot more complex than just that.
0: One, one thing I I think go ahead, Marie.
1: I think it's a natural move for TikTok because of what Aaron said. They're already testing it on the Chinese version of the app. Uh, I'm oh, sorry, I don't know how to speak yeah. Chinese. You're okay, that so,
3: is yeah. Doin yeah. uh, and
1: it uh, it already allows some users to live stream um, games that are played, and then looking through the TikTok reel, I. So I did a little dive into TikTok because I was feeling it's so big and I don't know about it. So as a product manager, I should try it out. And you already have mini games. People create these mini games for other players to, to engage with. Like one of the mini games I saw was on this moving background. So as if someone's in their garden just filming the, the scenery and they applied a mini game to the front where it was a bit of like a puzzle that you had to figure out. And there's this whole section of mini games of people doing this, and so why not take it a step further and actually have your own mini games available for users to play? And a- another reason why I think this is a natural move is it seems that the product, the product development practices that TikTok have are extremely interesting to experiment, see what happens, and then take it from there. Because even the way that they integrated the mini games is really interesting because when you're making the way that you share, the way that you can play them is that when you're creating your TikTok video, you can add a link that is then anchored to your name. And then when your video is showing, play, uh, sorry, the users can click on it and play the game. And then if you use it, you can also play the game. So like even being able to access and play the games is behind this interactivity with the, with your feed. And yeah, I'm, I'm extremely curious to see how that goes. And I believe even in their announcement, they, they were just, they were quite open that it's an experiment. Like they were, they're putting it out there. They want to see how the community creates content with it because you can film yourself. Or you can create a video of you playing the game and then share your high score. Or something else. So yeah, we'll we'll see how how that develops.
0: Yeah, I think another thing that's just interesting about TikTok is that it's already like used by other game platforms for discovery. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's like TikTok is now a major part of like launching your game on Steam is like making sure you have a good TikTok game. And so I think the only cautionary tale is that we've seen um, like messenger games are nothing new. They've been around for since like what 2016, and these are not exactly the same as messenger games, but they kind of rhyme with it. And then also we've seen cases where a really popular social app has tried to get into games, but just like not understood it because they don't um, package it right. They don't lean into the affordances of their own platform. I think Discord was a fabulous example of that. it seems like TikTok has gotten that message. They're not just like, here you can download games from TikTok. That's weird. You know, they seem to be leaning into the natural affordances of the platform, which is a good thing. but I think if this becomes something, I, I kind of take a wait and see approach. I think it could carve out a new niche for itself. And I think it will ultimately be in service to TikTok's greater goals, which is to, you know, just maximize time on app. And so, you know, in, in so many ways, you know, you can think of TikTok itself as already a game. And I know I'm getting a little discursive here, but the whole point is that it's like, you know, it's thinking of games as like this little like boxed content experience that you get versus just ways to play with your friends. You know, I think you can really blur the boundaries of what that entails. Like there's so many TikTok games you can play that are just shared rules between people of like how you do a duet.
1: Lars was sharing such a good point about what are games. And unfortunately, before moving into his topic about Google Stadia potentially shutting down, his uh, recording account decided to shut down first before we got to discuss it. So who knows, maybe it's the powers of the cloud, didn't want us to talk about it. Um, yeah, we're really sorry, we're going to we're going to wrap up here and maybe in the future we'll be able to revisit the Google Stadia topic when Lars is back. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks Anil, Aaron, it was lovely to have you on.
2: Yeah, happy to be here. Sorry that we had had issues. I don't know if it was the CCP that was shutting down Lars or... <laughs> Uh, from talking too negatively about TikTok or something else. But still, it's a good conversation. Uh, I look forward to talking about um, Stadia and the cloud another time.
1: You can find us on Discord. Um, so join us if you want to continue the conversation with Navik. And we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.